Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The mood of the nation is quite grim at the moment. Um, none more so than the fact that, of course, Stephen Donnelly, our Minister for Health, hinted, hinted on many occasions yesterday uh, that there could be another lockdown. First of all, he said this. At a tipping point, we could be looking at another national lockdown. At a tipping point. And then he went on then to reflect on that a little bit later on. And he said, looking at the, oh, sorry, national I do apologise. I do apologise. Then he went on to say this. The reality is we are dealing with a virus that is close to us having to lock down the country again. The public health advice is that we are at a tipping point and we are doing everything we can to suppress this virus, to stop a second lockdown, to get the schools open, which we now have, to keep the businesses open, to protect jobs, to get the hospitals open, and so forth. Now, these comments, of course, come as Ireland records another spike in cases. Yesterday, with 164 more people testing positive for the coronavirus. Thankfully, by the way, the mortality rate is still very low, practically at zero. Sadly, of course, uh, one or two people have died. Actually, I, somebody put up a stat yesterday online, which I thought was quite interesting. In the month of August, from what I know, and maybe don't quote me too directly, but they say they made the claim that nine people had died from uh, COVID-19. Of course, if you take away the four that had been, or five that had been added in total in the month of August for who had died previously in May and April, that nine people in total had died since the start of August. And in that same period of time, nine people had died in road traffic accidents. Um, and of course, 89 people roughly or thereabouts die every single day in this country. But anyway, Stephen uh, was responding to recent criticism from the GAA. He, uh, he said, singled out the chief medical officer, Ronan Glynn, over recent measures banning spectators at sports grounds. And he said, I heard a lot of criticism from the GAA, including singling out the chief medical officer, which I have to say, I take exception to. He said the chief medical officer's job is to advise me and to advise the government and his only focus is on saving lives. The easiest thing in the world for Neffert to do would have been to just uh, say just to close down all sports. We're at a tipping point. We could be looking at another national lockdown. We have to take this deadly seriously and it would be uh, have been quite reasonable for them to say for the next three weeks in order to protect the country and lives uh, we will simply stop all sports. To their credit, um, they didn't do that. Now, what I found interesting yesterday when I was watching uh, the Oireachtas COVID committee uh, with Michael McNamara, and I'll talk to Michael in a second, was that Stephen Donnelly says he has taken advice from Neff and he talks about the second lockdown and he talks about the fact that the second lockdown has been advised by Neffet. Now, he kind of says that almost like it's out of his control. He is the Minister for Health. The final decision lies with him and government, not with Neffet. Neffet are advisors. That's all they are. Remember who Neffet are. They're a group of people who come from different walks of life, um, different medical backgrounds. Um, and some are not even medical backgrounds, by the way. Some are civil servants. But basically, they come from different walks of life. They advise the government. They're not elected representatives. They don't make decisions for the state or for the people of the state. It is up to government to interpret their advice and then use that advice as they see fit. But it's got to a point now where I gathered from what Stephen Donnelly was saying yesterday at the Oireachtas Committee or the Oireachtas COVID Committee that um, they seem to be the ones in charge. Maybe I'm picking that up wrong. We will be talking as well later on 
um, to Paul uh, Moyne, a professor of immunology at Maynooth uh, University, who said it is generally recognised that lockdowns is a very blunt instrument. It is very harsh on the country, or harsh on the country. It has paralysed the country, actually, economically, and also in terms of the healthcare provision and socially. Now, in relation to lockdowns, the question I want to ask you today is, would you support another national lockdown if it was recommended by NEFIT, which it is being uh, technically rep- recommended uh, by NEFIT if this spike continues? Would you support it? I put a poll up yesterday on Twitter. Um, I know it's not the most scientifically accurate poll in the world because it is Twitter and lots of people on Twitter are sane and some of them are mental. Uh, but realistically, 4,492 votes, that's nearly 5,000. It's a fairly decent sample size. And according to that, 66% says, no, I'm not buying it. Uh, 26% said, yes, of course. And the question I ask is, would you cooperate with a national lockdown if you were told it was in the interest of public health? Uh, joining me on the line is TD Michael McNamara, who's the chair of the Special Committee on COVID-19. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon, uh, And it was a pleasure to watch you, Michael, yesterday, because I find it very rare now that we're challenging the decisions made by the state. I mean, it's all well and good, and we know everything in this in the interest of public health, and we can see that cases are rising, not just here in Ireland, by the way, right across Europe and across the world. There seems to be rising cases, but thankfully the mortality rate is staying low in most countries, as you pointed out yesterday. What was the impression that you got, and why did you raise those questions with Stephen Donnelly? Was it in relation to the fact that he seemed to be hinting at another national lockdown? Well, I mean, it's more generally with regard to the restrictions. I mean, I kind of would hope to understand what the state's strategy is because at the very outset of this, we were told that we would uh, have to lock down to flatten the curve to ensure that our health system wasn't overcome. And thankfully, we achieved that and we've achieved that up to now and especially now where we have yesterday morning, we were told by the HSE that there were six people in ICU. But it's four today, people. four today in ICU. And and by the way, very difficult, I'm sure, for the four families uh, absolutely, involved. Yeah, somebody who has yeah. uh, lost... Uh, a loved one earlier this year um, and I mean you know there is no you know there is no time at which it's acceptable that people die I mean I'm, and nobody's suggesting that but you know we have to make decisions based on evidence and there was a risk when the country was locked down in in, um, in March that our health system was going to be overrun uh, or overcome and put under pressure and yes why, yeah. and that's why we took the measures that were taken well we didn't want to f- make the same mistakes of course that Italy and Spain made exactly. in relation to their health service I and mean, I mean it should be borne in mind that Italy and Spain have a lot of experience in this. They are experiencing a rise in uh, in uh, sorry in detected cases, as are we. But there isn't. I'm not aware of any suggestion that they go into a countrywide lockdown of the type that that happened earlier this uh, year in both Italy and Spain. And therefore, I'm slightly surprised, uh, or more than slightly surprised, that the Minister for Health is proposing or even uh, hinting at that at this stage because it hasn't. Well, he said it three times yesterday. Of course, on the national uh, psyche, of course. On the national psyche, but it has an effect on our economy and ultimately we do have to have an economy that funds our, our education system, our healthcare system and all our public services. But also I think it must have a very profound effect on people who, who are suffering through this with um, uh, from mental health conditions. And I mean, there has been a... We're, we're repeatedly told that there's been a, a surge in, in people with mental health problems and I don't know what the statistics are mm-hmm. uh, for suicide right now in Ireland but anecdotally I've heard about a lot of suicides. And we well I know some countries have, have evidence in relation to that and certainly and I know I looked at a study in California and they said in California at one particular time there in recent times that more people had died of suicide uh, during the lockdown that had died of COVID-19 which was quite an interesting point. That well, I mean, I'm not aware of yeah. any similar mm-hmm. statistic in Ireland but 
I, yeah. I, I, all I can say is anecdotally I'm hearing there was an increase mm-hmm. in suicides and an increase in people presenting with mental health. Uh, okay, but the, the point, of course, that he was making was you need to nip it in the bud before it happens. And and this is the point he made that we had when we had the original lockdown going back some months ago, that they saw the increase in cases at the very, very start, didn't want to put the hospitals under pressure, didn't want people to die, and said, let's lock down now before yeah. people die. And he tried to, what he had said to you was, there's a trend that, yes, there may not be a, an instance of mortality now or an increase in mortality now, but he's suggesting that in two weeks we're going to see mortality increase. That's what he's suggesting, but that doesn't seem to be bearing out across Europe is the point you were making to him. Well, I sincerely hope that, that we won't see an increase in hospitalizations and mortality in two weeks' time, but if, if, if um, what, that, that is certainly what's being feared, at least by uh, by uh, Dr. Colin Henry of the HSE, who was in the first session, and Dr. Ronan Lynn. Um, but that, thankfully, up to now, hasn't been borne out by what's happened in Europe. But, I mean, I suppose the point I would make is that we have to respond to the evidence and we have to respond to a situation that arises. But right now, uh, I think it's fair to say... But are we responding no- to evidence, Michael, or are we responding to social media and pressure and hysteria and fear I mean, and I've said this all along in relation, I don't believe that the world would be in the situation we have today if it wasn't for social media. I believe social media plays a huge part and a huge role in the decisions that government make. I mean, if we go right back to the start, uh, you remember that very famous video in a bar in Temple Bar where everybody was jumping around having fun and all of a sudden there was a hashtag went, close the pubs. Within a couple of days, of course, the government had closed the pubs. The same happened with the schools, closed the schools. And there's a huge amount of public pressure. Now the public pressure has shifted back the opposite direction, I think, where I don't believe there would be the same support for a lockdown. Now, I don't know whether you think there would be or not, but I don't believe there would be a support for it. I think there's huge concern from a wide variety of people across society as to what the effect that a lockdown would have on our health system, on our education system, on our economy, on our society. But, I mean, as regards responding to evidence, I mean, the evidence is that there are repeated outbreaks in meat plants um, uh, across this country and across every other country that we're aware of. Yet in one weekend there were 6,000, uh, and no outbreaks in any hospitality sector, in one weekend there were 6,000 visits to pubs. Up to two weeks ago when the HSA came in, there were 39 and only 39 visits, so not even every meat plant was visited once. Um, but, you, but you put that question to Dep- uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn about the disproportionate amount of inspections in the hospitality industry versus the meat factory industry. And what did you make of the answer? He seemed to evade your answer, uh, answering it uh, initially. I put it twice, he evaded. Now, I appreciate it's not his responsibility to carry out the inspections, but, I mean, the problem is that I think elected representatives in Ireland have very much said, look, we're going to do whatever the medical advice is and we're not going to second-guess and we're not going to question it. So I suppose the obvious question is, well, is the medical advice to inspect meat plants? Because the evidence is that meat plants... um, are harbouring um, COVID-19. I'm not saying that they're doing that intentionally in any way, but the conditions in meat plants... Um, well, I think a lot of it's, there's a lot of factors in their meat factories and, and, and food production factories where you have cheap labour, you have a production line where people are standing close together, you do, and, you and you have large volumes of people working in those factories. Indeed. So there's a lot of factors there in those kind of occupations. There are, but I mean, all, that's surely all the more reason to inspect them and all the more reason mm-hmm. to ensure that they're safe, yeah. whereas instead the, the, the state, the the state resources seem to be put into inspecting um, pubs and, and, and uh, restaurants. And, uh, do, do you, th- do you think what happened 
with Golfgate and of course there was a story in the paper this morning that Michal Martin went home to collect some clothes at one point during the lockdown um, did, I mean the, the the resignation of Phil Hogan which lasted four or five days and, and carried front page on, on every newspaper do you think these distractions are good for society where we're not actually focusing on the problem the problem is in this, particularly in society at the moment is people are not getting early interventions for diseases and illness because they're not seeing their doctors people are suffering from mental health problems businesses are falling apart and pubs are closing and restaurants and hotels are disappearing before our eyes. Are we missing all this because we're distracted by... It's almost, You know what it reminded me of, Golfgate? And by the way, I'm not condoning these ministers doing what they did, but it reminds me of two people fighting over who owns a laptop while the house is burning around, uh, around them. Do you understand? What I'm, in other words, a complete distraction from what's really important. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a, a risk, but obviously, um, you know, what Phil Hogan did was was, was, was wrong. But well, of course, if he's making the rules, I mean, well, they're making the rules, yeah. yeah uh, no, well, I suppose, he, yeah, arguably, he, he wasn't making he wasn't the rules. He wasn't making them, but they Living in Ireland at the time. But, um, but you know, to go back to, the, wh- what is the focus of, of our strategy? Because if it is to ensure that our health system isn't overcome, and, and we're repeatedly told that the reason that our advice is so different and the reason that why, why we're doing things so differently to other European countries is because they have a better healthcare system, they have better capacity in our healthcare system. Yet Stephen Donnelly, the minister, when he came to the committee yesterday, was unable to tell us what increase in capacity had been achieved. Now, I, I, I'm not <coughs> suggesting that you can mm-hmm. hospitals in Ireland in six months. Clearly, from the National Children's Hospital saga, you can't, but you can increase capacity, and you can increase capacity substantially, and we're now six months into this, and we didn't get any answers. Well, we, we, we've, had that, we've had capacity stretched over the last 15 years or so, particularly uh, the 2017-2018 flu season, for example. I remember nurses and doctors in the HSE, the, the workers, crying out for resources because they were stretched to capacity, ICU beds full, people in trolleys everywhere, you know, because obviously people had... But, I mean, influenza and people dying and, and going to ICU and, and we couldn't get the resources then but all of a sudden these resources are being made available Yes but it doesn't it's not clear to me that the resources are being used to increase capacity in the hospital system or at least it wasn't clear from the information that the Minister provided um, so I mean you know is our sole response as a state is it a lockdown because we're being told by the World Health Organization we're told by doctors in Ireland that lockdowns don't necessarily work I mean Argentina's been in lockdown now for six months the strictest lockdown in the world cases are spiralling and their economies in tatters so I mean we do need another response I'm not saying that a lockdown could never be proportionate or could never be necessary I'm saying that it doesn't appear to be proportionate and necessary now and what alternatives are being worked on because while the minister three times suggested that we were on the cusp of a national Mm. lockdown he did didn't tell us what capacity um, improvements there had been in our healthcare system, and surely there must have been some. Because if there haven't, I think that would be uh, a, a, a huge indictment of our political response. Uh, F- final question for you, Michael. Just sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but final question for you in relation to your position and the position, and I suppose where the Oireachtas COVID Committee stands. I've seen numerous experts on the Oireachtas COVID Committee come before you, uh, particularly say last week there. You, I can't remember Oxford University. I can't remember his name. Talking about masks. I think it was Professor Carl Hennigan. Yeah, Professor, yeah, he spoke about face masks and, and he said there was no benefit to them apart, and he also suggested well, about he, cloth he, masks. He was a bit more nuanced than that. Okay, no, I'm not going to go into the, the, the whole thing. But, and you've had numerous other experts talking about it and you obviously had the conversation with Stephen Donnelly and, and with the Deputy Chief Medical Officer yesterday as well. But what is the point, I suppose, of the committee? And I don't say this to be disrespectful mm. to you, but what's the point of the COVID committee when what they're saying or anything that's being said in there is not actually being taken seriously because it's not being part of the national conversation. 
Well, I mean, I don't know that it's not being part of Apart from today, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I, no, but I think more broadly than that. I mean, we had Dr. Dr. David Navarro on from the World Health Organization. Uh, you know, I, I would have thought a lot of people have, have been listening to what's mm. going on at the committee. A lot of people are getting answers to questions that they have, and I think that's very important. And I think the state's response is being teased out. The, 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 the strengths of the state's response, I mean, you know, we, we learned that uh, the HSE had uh, done uh, excellent work in sourcing PPE and that they were looking at the long-term sustainability of that, um, but also some of the, the weaker aspects of the state's response have been teased out. And until we know what's working and what's not working, uh, I, I think we can't bring a focus to bear on sorting mm. out our problems. And I think the committee is achieving that. It is teasing out uh, what's been working and what hasn't been working up to now and what the alternatives are. Would it be advisable for the government, uh, finally, in your opinion, would it be advisable for the government to change the members of NEFIT on a regular basis rather than listening to the same group of people? people uh, and that advice because it does seem to me that whatever they say goes even though they're not elected representatives yet that final decision should always be with government and Stephen Donnelly of course with being the Minister for Health has the final decision in relation to any uh, decisions that should be made but yet he seems to suggest that if Neffet make a decision that's it Well I mean that was very much the approach of his predecessor now in fairness that's an easier approach to take when you're shutting down than when you're trying to open up. I mean, because you can't stay locked down forever inherently. I mean, it's just impossible. Society falls apart. The economy falls apart. Uh, I've been calling since March to see more mental health professionals and representatives of psychiatry on NEFID because clearly it's having a profound effect on um, on uh, mental health across the country. Also, I mean, um, there was a, an expert advisory group on nursing homes uh, set up. I don't know that there are that many geriatricians or anybody from that expert advisory group on NEFIT now, and some of the NEFIT subgroups are no longer functioning. But I think, in fairness to the minister, he did indicate that, uh, or, um, perhaps it wasn't the minister, but one of the speakers, uh, witnesses yesterday, indicated that uh, an overhaul of the sort of NEFIT and how it's... Well, that's I mean, other immunologists, possibly from around the world, or other, uh, more of a group think on the matter rather than taking the advice of the same... Well, I mean, there's always a danger of group think. I mean, we saw the dangers of, of, of groupthink in Ireland when every, there was almost unanimity that uh, our economy was doing very well and that it would be a soft landing. And, yeah. uh, we we yeah. all know where that... Where that landed us, yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I, I've run out of time, but I yeah. do appreciate you coming on the air, Michael, and thank you very much indeed. D.D. Michael McNamara, chair, chair of the Special Committee on COVID-19's Response. Uh, professor Paul Moyna, uh, Professor of Immunology at University, suggests that lockdowns are not the answer, and he joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Paul. How are you? Afternoon, Niall. Um, there has been many people around the world say lockdowns are not the answer. Some say there's no evidence that lockdowns work. The government will use the evidence that, but sure, look, didn't we reduce the amount of deaths because of a lockdown, whereas others will suggest they would have gone down anyway. The lockdown didn't make any difference. Do lockdowns work? Certainly, uh, now, when I look at the Irish data, and I think back in March when you looked, you know, ICU was filling up, filling up rapidly, and if you looked at that trajectory, we were at serious uh, risk. So certainly I wouldn't blame anybody or any country in terms of resorting to lockdown at that stage. But when you look back now with the benefits of that, and certainly when I look back, I see very little evidence that lockdown, you know, give us very little beyond what we were already getting from the restrictions that were put in place prior to March the 28th. So all of those measures in terms of really good social distancing, washing your hygiene, hands, yep. washing hands, reducing, you know, very large gatherings indoors. They're the types of things now that I think are very, very effective. Closing down the entire country, even counties, I'm not convinced that, and especially in terms of, and I've just heard uh, the end of your discussion there with Michael, but certainly in terms of the price you pay, both in terms of 
sort of paralyzing the economy, but also especially in terms of non-COVID healthcare. Like I worry about things like, you know, when you look at, for example, last year, I think there was something like 43,000 newly diagnosed cases of cancer. Now, what has happened in the first six months of this year? Many undiagnosed so, cases well, that, this year, that, yes. Well, that, that is my concern. And, yeah. and I, 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 from an immunologist, absolutely, I'm not saying that COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2, it's a very serious, nasty virus, but I think sometimes the microscope can be so fixated on uh, are we Are we fixated? Well, here's the thing. There's an interesting point you'd make. I mean, when you look at the data now around the world and the way things are changing with the people who are at the, the countries at the same position or point in time that we are, there are other countries who are further back in time and are catching up now at this stage, particularly when you look at the, uh, South America and places like that. But certainly in, in the Western world and in Europe, there seems to be a change whereby we're seeing more cases, we're seeing less deaths. Thankfully, that seems to be the trend at the moment uh, across the world. But we're also seeing other things, uh, other uh, data coming out now. For example, there was an article in the Daily Mail, not that I believe everything in the Daily Mail, that in the last 14 days, more people died in the United Kingdom, six more people died in the United Kingdom of the flu and pneumonia than died of COVID-19. But yet we're still very much focused on COVID-19. 89 people die every day in this country, or roughly thereabouts. Uh, 33% of those from cancers, as you rightly mentioned. Are we over-focused on it? I, I, I think it's to be expected to a degree. You know, this is a new virus, and it sort of captured us, you know, just the last six months of our lives. So to, to a degree, it's to be expected. But I think we need to move beyond that. So, for example, at the moment, as you rightly say, you know, numbers are going up, but we don't see that reflected in uh, hospitalizations, ICU. Because uh, they tend to be younger people. Yes. I think two reasons there. Yeah. Now. One is they tend to be younger, but also, and, you know, we, you know, the our testing and tracing has received a lot of criticism, and I have been critical of it. One of the good moves, again, that was proposed early on was to test contacts. So what we're doing now is we're testing a lot of contacts, and we're picking up asymptomatics, and they're not going to end up getting sick. So that's a good thing, but when you look at 100 per day now, in my view, that's very different from 100 per day very early on in the epidemic, because at that stage we were, you know, getting maybe 20% positivity rate. Now we're down at 1.3. So we're probably picking up quite a lot of the positive cases now at this stage. So, Do you believe uh, in the testing? There's been a lot of talk, Paul, and you've been an immunologist know a lot better than I would, but we've spoken to other immunologists. I spoke to one from Switzerland only very recently there. And there's been a lot of talk about PCR testing and how accurate the testing actually is. Yeah. That this suggestion, and you, you can tell me if this is wrong or right, but this suggestion that it picks up proteins or debris from proteins of somebody who may have had SARS-CoV-1, which is the common cold, uh, in recent times, that it may pick that up um, because obviously there's, a, there's an error factor that has to be taken into consideration when you're doing these tests. Is that possible that the, the testing is picking up something else or picking up people who are not actually sick at all? Oh, I think it's definitely picking up now. It's definitely picking up SARS coronavirus too, because it's a very specific test. It's very specifically designed against a gene that's only present in this virus. But I think what you may be referring to is so when somebody be, is infected, let's say you're infected today and you present with symptoms five, six days later, most people will clear that maybe within 10 to 14 days. But that's not to say you could probably still detect remnants of the virus for a much longer time periods, maybe five, six weeks. Now, those people, if you try to culture infectious virus from them, you can. So one of the things I think they should be using in testing, and again, it's a very expensive test, but it also gives you a measure of how much virus you have. And when you reach a certain level, even though you can detect the virus and the remnants of the virus, there is no infectious virus in there. And that presents a problem. If you're going back and doing contact tracing for two days previously when there haven't been infectious, you know, you're looking for contacts again. 
mm-hmm. that haven't been infected during that time period and that probably the infectious period was maybe a week previously. So certainly the test can detect beyond the stage of what you're uh, Which you're concerned about, which we're concerned about. The stage we're concerned about is 21 days at the most, probably. So realistically, if it's testing past that point, it's something that we shouldn't really be concerned about. The idea that people are saying, well, and they had a record number of testing over the last week, particularly 13,000 tests actually just on Friday alone. uh, And the people are saying, well, logically, if you test more people, you're going to get more cases. Uh, Is that that a fallacy or is that, I mean, is there something wrong with making that statement? No, telling Trump made the statement some time ago but in a very different context but I mean if you are testing more people and according to Trinity College and their antibody tests they reckon 50,000 people could have it in the country other uh, antibody tests have suggested even possibly more so in other words if we went out and tested more people sure can't we find them First of all, sort of on that 50,000, so that comes from a seroprevalence study that was performed by the HSE. So that suggests that there's about 1.7% of the population has been infected. I think that's a big underestimate. And I say it for a number of reasons. One is that like, it's much lower than I would have expected. If we've only had 50,000, that means we've detected one in three cases. But if you work out, based on those numbers, the infection fatality rate, that would give us an infection fatality rate of over 2%. Which is not now, the, the case in most countries. Which is not the case. No. So, like, the, the, the estimates now are probably 06 or probably below. Now, if it is the case, then you have to ask serious questions in terms of mm. why the infection fatality rate is so high in Ireland, which I don't believe... It is. No, be, we, we couldn't be any different. Case. But there have been other um, studies around the world that suggest, uh, in the United States, for example, that the amount of people that actually have it, per those who are actually uh, being tested positive for it, is probably five times higher. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised five, maybe even ten times higher, yeah. Okay, but when you you talk about the mortality rate, we're we're reckoning now it's a lot lower than, or probably lower than half of a percent. I mean, initially at the start, I suppose, when we were tackling COVID-19, we were told by the WHO that there was a 5% mortality Mm. rate, and that's kind of scared the living bejeepers out of everybody. Mm. So should our reaction now be very different to the reaction we had then? Because... Everybody agreed with lockdowns. Everybody agreed with any precautions necessary at the very start because we were in very uncharted territory. I mean, we can't use that excuse anymore. We're not in uncharted territory. We know how this virus works now. So should we be taking very different precautions rather than just, you know, a blanket, let's just lock down the country and put everybody out of a job again? Yeah, I think, Niall, even in terms of looking at that infectious fatality rate or case fatality rate based on the number of confirmed cases... I think we need to be mindful as well in terms of the relative risk across the ages because the fatality rate obviously goes up. So with very uh, with older people, you know, above 90, of course, the, inf- the infection fatality rate is going it's to be much higher, very high. Course, yeah. Whereas below, you know, 65, you know, it, it drops uh, dramatically. And then as you get into younger people and less than 20... It's almost it's, non-existent. It's, 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 it's extremely uh, low. So I think in some ways now we have to obviously try as much as possible to protect the vulnerable groups. So... Uh, to, to my and we, we've learned from experience in terms of you know the really high risk areas are places like nursing homes and things like that and unfortunately we didn't uh, deal with that and you know we were quite reactive and to a degree I think you know, we made a lot factories, of mistakes when it came to that to be honest with you well I, yeah, yeah I think it's a, a situation even in terms of the recent cases with meat factories we've known from earlier on as part of our own experience here in Ireland that meat factories were one of the high risk areas so in my view in terms of using the testing I know it was discussed yesterday that the Joint Oireachtas Committee in terms of using our capacity. I think we should be using our capacity. I think we should be doing as we're doing now at the moment, testing symptomatics, then testing contacts of those confirmed cases, both symptomatic and asymptomatic, and then using the rest of our capacity to do serial and frequent screening of those high-risk areas, so including healthcare workers in hospitals, uh, nursing homes, both residents and uh, Mm -hmm. healthcare workers, and also meat factories and those other high-risk areas 
And many many countries around the world, uh, sorry, Professor, many countries around the world now are, are who are seeing lower in the case numbers are, it's because that they're not doing the same type of contact tracing and what they're doing is only testing people who are symptomatic, which is something we did at the very start and then we changed the way we did it. Yeah. So in other words, they're saying, what? why would you want to test anybody who doesn't have symptoms? Because for any other virus we've ever had throughout history, we've never tested people who didn't have symptoms. We've always waited until somebody came to a doctor and said, listen, I don't feel well. Can you test me for something? So, I mean, many like they're talking about, for example, in China, they, as you can see at the moment, the, the case numbers have dramatically dropped it back to, practically down to zero. But they're saying the reason is because they're not testing people unless they're coming forward with symptoms. I think there is there is some value now in terms of testing uh, for asymptomatics for the reason being that the, the, the primary purpose of testing is actually to identify the confirmed case to try to interfere with the transmission of the virus. So mm-hmm. asymptomatics, it's very difficult to definitively show, but asymptomatics probably do transmit as well. So if you can detect, but the, but the key thing is detecting very early on as part of the infectious cycle. So if you can detect somebody that's asymptomatic very early on and isolate, obviously that will reduce the onward transmission. So I, I think there definitely is value there in terms okay. of, and rather than doing random testing, it is more stratified testing in terms of testing those that are most likely to be infected because they've been in contact with a confirmed case. One final question in relation to the uh, possibility of a vaccine. We don't know 126 candidate vaccines, I believe, out there now at the moment. We don't know if they'll actually work or not. Um, and we can't really pin our hopes on it. It might not be a magic bullet. It, it could be 10 years. It could be 20 years before we find a vaccine or it could be next year. We don't know. We actually don't know. So we shouldn't even talk about it in some sense. But the idea that, uh, for example, Raj Vopal from Edinburgh University last week, he was the chair of public health, released probably the most detailed data in relation to children, zero to 19 year olds. And, you know, 137 million children, only 61 had died, etc., etc. So he was basically saying that children generally are asymptomatic. The majority, very few, will actually have mild symptoms. And he was saying the suggestion of locking children down or in any way was bizarre. And he said what we should be doing is encouraging children to be together and them in turn by herd immunity will protect vulnerable groups in the future. Is, is that bananas theory or is that is that something that we're going to have to look at if we're indeed going to live with a virus? I think you've never, we've never really gone before in terms of herd immunity based on using the natural infection. Usually, you know, we talk about herd immunity in the context of a vaccine. Now, I, I agree with you now in terms of we can't pin all our hopes. Like, I'd be very hopeful even probably within the next one or two years we're probably going to have a vaccine. But I think the bar in terms of looking for a vaccine that is going to give us what we would describe as sterilizing immunity. In other words, preventing us from being infected and hence eradicating the virus. Like smallpox or something, yes. I think that yeah. virus is very, very... Like we've only ever eradicated one virus previously, smallpox. And, and just in relation to smallpox, that was Donald um, A. Henderson, uh, by the way, who has been accredited as probably one of the most uh, disease eradicate, best disease eradicators of the 20th century. And he himself actually said that lockdowns didn't work. In, if anything at all, he said it may have had the opposite effect. But anyway. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think we just need to... So, uh, so my in terms of how I look in terms of dealing with this that you know independent of lockdown is where you know there's obviously sort of individual sort of responsibility societal responsibility in terms of as far as possible you know respecting the social distancing and Mm. good hygiene Uh, in other cases in society whether it be schools or hospitals sometimes we may not be able to you know we have to make take some risks but I think the, the what you get in return is certainly more than justified. And then that needs to be complemented by in terms of a state responsibility, yeah. which is the testing and tracing. So I think that combination should be able to achieve a situation where we don't need to go down to local 
or national lockdowns. I just worry about if the default reaction is to go back to lockdowns and if that is the strategy, that to me just tells me actually we've no strategy. We're, wait, we're doing it on the fly on a day-by-day basis. Well, I, just, I, just, yeah. I just worry about that, especially yeah. in terms of what lockdown costs. Oh, listen, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate you coming on the air. Professor Paul Moyna, who's a professor of immunology at Manute University. But I want to get your opinions today. Uh, the government have hinted at a second lockdown. Uh, that seems to be the suggestion from Neffet anyway, uh, if the cases continue to rise. Uh, would you support it? It seems we, it doesn't have the same support it had six months ago. Uh, Joe, you're a classic hits. Joe, how are you good doing? Af- good afternoon, Niall. How are you? Good, Joe. Would you support another lockdown? A national lockdown seems to be no. what's hinted at by, by Stephen Donnelly. Not, not a hope. Not a hope in hell. But you might not have a choice. When, you, when, 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 we, when I ask the question, do you support, if the government turn around tomorrow and say there's going to be another national lockdown from midnight on whatever night it is, you won't have a choice. Everywhere will have to close or the Garda Sheikana will be told to do their job. With respect, no, Niall, and I, I understand what you're saying, but I think there's a lot of fear being put into people at the moment. I think the government have just lost the run of themselves, and I think as well as that, I don't trust Stephen Dundee as far as, uh, as, I'm in, as far as I can throw him, because I just think he's only spoofing. You think he's spoofing? Uh, well, spoofing about what? Well, he's well the, figure, the figures are the figures. I mean, he, he doesn't make up the figures. Neffet give him the figures, and the HSE give him the figures. Now yeah, you, you could you could you could suggest that you don't you know you don't trust him as a minister you don't have faith in him that's fair enough. Yeah, but the way I look at it is right at the moment, and as you said there a while ago, and as that um, perfect, that man you were talking to there a while ago, um, the mortality rate of this virus ha- is not is is not too bad at the moment. There hasn't been. Uh, well, when you say at the moment, it's not too bad. Generally, I mean, it, the, the mortality rate of a virus generally doesn't change. It never was. It was just at the start, we were cautionary. Because, yeah, of yeah. course, we, we didn't know what it was. So, you know, we had to be careful. Yeah, well, well of course, I understand that. And, of course, uh, I, I'd have no problem with that. But I think at the moment, I don't think the choice of a second lockdown would work because I just think that people's mental health had just gone off the roof. I think there's actually there'll actually be more suicides and more non deaths mm-hmm. from, from 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 more secondary people. deaths, you mean, yes, of course. Secondary deaths, yeah, because like with respect, I think we've done what we had to do at the start and I don't think the chance the choice of having to go back in under house arrest again would be a success. I just think it would just it would be a disaster. I think there'd be a lot of riots around the streets and everything. Because people would not put up with it. Well, I, I, I don't, but I, I, I'm going to be honest, judging from what I've seen from, you know, little uh, research and uh, from voting and polls kind of over the last three or four days, I don't think people would be as cooperative the second time. No. But, they, but here, they knew that because Simon Harris did say at the very, very start before the first lockdown that if we have a lockdown, we have to be careful when we have it, how long we have it for, because if we don't, we will lose public cooperation. Yeah. So, and, and again... It's very difficult to justify a lockdown for a virus that doesn't seem to be thankfully killing a lot of people. Exactly, yeah, because over the last couple of weeks, and as you said yourself, there's been a lot of testing going on. So the more people you're going to test, the more people are going to come up either uh, negative positive. or positive. Yes, well, of so course. Like, it's, it was always obvious, like uh, anyone would know that uh, cases would rise once you start opening up society. But I think we've done quite well now. I think it's like... We, we, we've, we've, been very, we've been very good over the last couple of months. I think uh, there hasn't been any major problems. It's only really since the end of July when they started reporting 
these 85 cases and a lot of them was probably meat factories that the whole thing started coming uh, coming under scrutiny. But, but here's right, the thing know? I don't understand, right? And maybe, and I know you won't be able to tell me the answer to this, Joe. Maybe I should have asked the immunologist while I had him on the air. I mean, Stephen Donnelly said the other day, and I can't remember what day it was, we had a day where we had a case number I can't, it was 170-something, whatever it was. But it was more than we had back in April, so to speak, right? Which That's was right, during yeah, the worst yeah. time when people were dying, sadly, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that was during a lockdown. Yeah. And, and I'm saying to myself, well, okay, if lockdowns actually do work, how is it possible to have case numbers more or less the same when everybody in society is meeting each other back at work and now driving around? That, to me, didn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, do, I just think it's an absolute... Uh, it's a bit of a joke, really. Because well, I'm not going to say it's a joke. I, I think for everybody, you know, including government, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Exactly, yeah. Like, they're telling us, like, as you know, a couple of, when the last administration was there, and I wasn't a big fan of, uh, of Leo or anyone, but I tell you something, you could understand them a lot clearer than this crowd. Since this crowd have taken over, there's been nothing but doom and gloom. They don't even, they don't even have the DC to face the public. Anytime Michal Martin is asked a question, he goes all red in the face. And, and, and he ditters. Yeah. And he ditters. Well, that's what he's known as here in Cork, as a ditterer, because he was always like that. And from, from past experiences, I would not trust uh, him to run a crystal ball, not around run the economy. I think it's just an absolute disaster. And I think that uh, this Nefit crowd, I think that uh, a lot of these guys, they're just a load of puppets, really. They just don't have a... No, they're not. Well, they're, they're, some of them are quite intelligent people. I'm not, I might look through the list. I don't know if they're all that intelligent, but some I of them... Know, they're, I think okay. they're <laughs> but I, I do believe, and I made the point to Michael McNamara, that that list of people should be changed on a regular basis uh, to people who are knowledgeable, immunologists, virologists, people who have understand mental health and all that kind of thing. All right, I've got to take it to the break. Yes, Kevin, you're absolutely right. There is more of a chance of that happening. Uh, I'm not going to read that out of the air. And Ireland, in terms of the COVID numbers being false, don't forget the White House even admitted it. Well, by the way, Britain even admitted it. Public Health England admitted that the case, the deaths were false and they actually removed 5,500 deaths from the death list because they said they didn't die of COVID-19 after all. Sure, our only over Adka suggested a while ago there that there was four or five, 500 and whatever it was deaths that should have been removed from the list because they didn't die directly from COVID-19. They died for other reasons. Um, or they were suspected cases of COVID-19. How they can even say that is beyond me, but however. Uh, the question I'm asking you now is, would you be happy to comply with another lockdown? Imagine having to go through all that again. Imagine grannies not being able to see their grandkids, uh, not being able to leave your county, not being able to go five kilometres from your home, all your businesses that closed down and it took you blood, sweat and tears to reopen your business again, to get it up and running again, to try and get a bit of business in just about when you were just about to get there, they'll close you down again. Can we keep doing that? And I'll tell you what the problem is here. And everybody knows it. Our government currently at the moment have absolutely no plan, no strategy, no nothing. Uh, Chris, you're on Classic Hits. How are you doing, Chris? All right, yourself now. Good. Uh, Chris, I mean, another lockdown is, well, when I say it's on the table, it certainly seems to be suggested by, by Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health. Do you think it would make a difference or would it do more damage than good? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one um, now. You know, the, the first lockdown, there's no doubt, did good. Um, you know, we, why we why do you say that? Because there's no because, evidence of that apart from well, correlation. Well, you know, let, let's just talk quickly about the, the death rate. Um, you know, the whole world went into lockdown. 
Um, you know, everybody, even now, majority of the world is, is doing their best to you know, wear masks, wash hands, you know, social distance. It's, mm-hmm. you know, yet we still had over 800,000 deaths. We haven't had this, um, this virus run through the population. If we, if we compare it to the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu went bananas. You can't, you can't compare it to the Spanish flu. No, it's no, a, no, it has a different about, mortality rate, but go no, on. No, I'm not t- but what I'm saying is the Spanish flu went bananas, and, it, and it, it, pretty much everybody it went through the entire population. Within six months you know, or something, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. We haven't done that. We haven't said, okay, well, let's just go mad and let everybody get it. And if you look at some of the countries that have almost adopted that type of attitude, They've had higher mortality rates. They've had no, well, okay. Well, let, well, let's talk about Sweden then, if you want to, because that's where you're going with that, okay? No, no, I wasn't actually going. Okay, well, well, well Sweden, we by the way, and, and there's a bit of a myth about Sweden. Sweden do have restrictions. They don't have large gatherings. Um, they have, you know, uh, obviously public health warnings about washing your hands and, and social distancing. But they just haven't locked down business, right? Um, and when you take Sweden into consideration, a comparison, say, to Ireland, they have an older population. The majority of those deaths happened in the older population. When you actually break down the data and look at the data, we're not far behind them. We're actually no, pretty I, close to them. So, reason it didn't make a huge amount of difference. Well, look, I think you have to compare um, Sweden to the to the, the, the Scandinavian countries, and they stand out like a, a sore thumb when you compare them to to their neighbours. Um, but. Even, as you say, Sweden, even though they, they didn't have the hard lockdowns that some countries had, they still had precautions in place. And that's what we've been doing. We haven't just said, oh, bugger this. It's, mm. it's just, you know, whoever gets it, gets it. If you die, you die, so be it. It's well, 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 let's look at the opposite. Let's look at, the, look at Argentina. They've had the strictest lockdown out of any country in the world. Nearly five months, military-style lockdown, masks mandatory for the last two or three months, and yet their cases are spiralling out of control. Well, then, then it should, perhaps then lockdown doesn't work. Perhaps, <laughs> See, perhaps yeah, you can't win, can you? No, you can't win. Perhaps say an example of exactly how, how, how bad it is. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I did quote Dr. Donald A. Henderson, who's the man who's been, as I said, he's been credited with ridding the world of smallpox. He's allegedly yeah. one of the most acclaimed disease eradicators in the world. Sadly, he died two years ago. But he himself turned around and said, and I'm, says, he, and I'm quoting him, Cancelling or postponing large meetings would not be likely to say have any significant effect on the development of an, of an epidemic while local concerns may result in the closure of particular events for logical reasons. A policy directing community-wide closure of public events is inadvisable. Look, you know, the, the problem I have is we have to assume that the government is being advised by people who know what they're talking about. Um, one would assume. Yet every... Station will have a uh, immunologist or a virologist come on the radio station. Lots of virologists, yeah, and say the complete opposite. And oh, my well, view is okay. Why, 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 why are the government not getting the information from like this chap who was just on on your radio now? Why, why is why well, is well, that's and that's my very argument. I I would like to think, or it would be nice to think that the government wouldn't just listen to whoever it is in Neffet, who there's, I know there's an immunologist on the panel in Neffet and there's a disease, con, uh, a foreign disease expert. There's also a school teacher, school principal. Uh, there's somebody else from the civil service or ex-head of the HSE. Or the, the different walks of life, right? 
But I would like to see that panel being changed because otherwise it just becomes stale. It's people with the same views over and over again. There are virologists in the world and immunologists who are like doomsday. They're like the Grim Reaper. Or there's one or two of them on the telly on a regular basis and we're all going to die. And then, then there's other immunologists around the world who we've spoken to in the air who say, this is all an old nonsense and we're overreacting to it completely. So, and, and they're all equally educated people, but they just have different views. So who, who do we? The, the problem is, is who do we trust? Well, we, we trust situation? a mixture. Isn't it best to trust a mixture of everybody? Take everybody's information together. Why can't they all get together, these very learned people, and come up with a plan? Um, no, I, I agree with you. That, that was the, the point I was trying to make. Is why why is the government not speaking to this chap that was just on the radio with you and saying, well, what's your views? Um, yeah, why are we limited, limiting it to five advisors or in effort? Yes. However big it is, we should be... Unelect, unelected people. That, that's the yeah. point I'm trying to make. I mean, we, we, ca- we have to stop listening to the same voice and the same advice all the time. Because at the moment in this country, compared to any other country I'm looking at, although everybody's a bit higgledy-piggledy at the moment, Ireland has no plan. We have no strategy. We're waking up every single day reacting to what's happening. We don't have it. We, we hear this, we're going to live with the virus. We're clearly not, because if we were living with the virus, we wouldn't be talking about lockdowns. And then the next thing is, somebody else says, we're going for a zero COVID-free island. That can't, like New Zealand, that can't happen. That's a disaster. I mean, we share land borders with Northern Ireland. You know, we need tourism. So that can't happen either. You know what I mean? That's illogical nonsense, fantasy talk. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't know. We need a plan. We need a strategy. And we don't have it. And we don't have good leaderships early. That's just the point, isn't it? Well, it is disappointing. As much as, you know, I've, I've always, you know, in my limited experience of Irish politics, I've actually liked uh, Leo Varadkar. But uh, obviously, I'm horribly mistaken when I listen to all your people that come onto the, onto the radio. Um, okay, well, listen, I've run out of time, Chris. And I, I get to talk to you again, I'm sure. And I'm sorry for cutting you a little bit short. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.